This is the Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The Word to Stand On for Life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the Word to Stand On for Life, our final program of the week. Isn't that crazy? But it is a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, anything and everything, and all you need to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340 340- 9585. If you live outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app, If you are driving in your car on this Friday afternoon, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Uh, Friday, we got some stuff going on. We have a Bible study tonight. I would ask for your prayer. I'm teaching on marriage from the husband's responsibility. Uh, It's husbands love your wives. As Christ loved the church. I'm going to stop right there. We're in Ephesians chapter 5. We're not doing a marriage series. We're just going through the Bible verse by verse. And tonight we're in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 25. Uh, and this is always a hard study. It's, uh, I'm going to actually do three studies on this one subject, husbands and how we love our wives. But uh, I think it is more than just inform- informative I think it's necessary for us. So that's tonight here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. You can watch it live stream at calvarysa.com or you can join us here live. We've always got room on our weeknight services, Wednesdays and Fridays. Okay, let's get to our questions. The first one comes from our email inbox and it comes from Chip. And he says, what is the symbolism of the angel throwing down the censer to earth in Revelation chapter 8, verses 4 and 5? Does that mean God stops hearing the prayers of those on earth? Uh, Actually, no, it doesn't mean that. Let me read the passages of Scripture. Um, uh, It says, the smoke of the incense. I'm going to go back to verse 3, Chip. Uh, Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar He was given much incense. Now, we remember that the incense in the Old Testament symbolically is is refers to the prayers of the saints. We know that because the next sentence or the next part of the sentence is with the prayers. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints 
on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of the saints went up before God from the angel's hand. And then he says this, Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it down on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, and flashes of lightning. Now, a couple of things here, and an earthquake, by the way, a couple of things to notice, and I think this is just of interest to me. Um, This is a supernatural response. Usually we know that lightning comes before thunder, not the other way around. But here, it's the thunder and the rumblings that come before the flashes of lightning. Now, what uh, John is doing here is painting, and now remember, he's receiving this as a vision. And this is a very vivid picture. The angel takes our prayers. Now, this is a very powerful angel. Um, He takes our prayers. He hurls them to the earth. And the result then is that the will of God, that which you and I have been praying for, is unleashed finally on the earth. Now, you'll remember, Chip, when Jesus was asked by his disciples to teach them to pray, his answer was astonishing. He said, in part, that we're to pray like this, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, this is where that specific prayer is answered. I think one of the real values of the Lord's model for prayer is that we find in that prayer the things that are important for him. Too often when we pray, we're praying just the things that are important to us. But this is the thing that's important to him. Incidentally, Chip, when I pray this, I always pray, Lord, thy will be done um, on earth in me, in my life, as it's intended to be in heaven. And those are the prayers that Jesus here is assuming that uh, that, that we're, we're praying. Uh, we're, we're not praying for silly stuff. We're praying instead for God's will to be done. And what we're really doing here and what the angel is communicating here, Chip, is that, that, that all of our prayers are being answered, the prayers for justice returning to the earth. And think about it, every time a child is abused or murdered, every time you have to listen to reports about horrible things that are going on, every time somebody gets away with something or or when somebody who's innocent gets uh, convicted of something, our hearts cry out for justice. How much more, Lord? How long, O Lord? And in this passage of Scripture, uh, in the Great Tribulation, after the first series of judgments, these are our prayers being answered for Jesus to rule and reign. It also answers all the why questions that we bring before the throne of God, times when we've cried out to God when someone we loved got cancer or was taken in an accident too soon or they were a victim of a crime. The questions of of all mankind from the very beginning of time, you know, why do you allow evil to prevail when your people suffer, Lord? Well, there's a time coming when those questions are all going to be answered and we will have no more questions. We'll have only the answers. And then, of course, following that uh, chip is the uh, uh, the seventh, uh, the seven angels who had the seven trumpets, the second series of trumpet judgments. So, Chip, thank you. I hope that answers your question. Um, I think I told you this already in the audience. But we're going to be, as soon as we're done in Ephesians, we're going to be doing uh, Revelation again on Friday nights here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Here is a question from Irene. Um, 
Usually these are anonymous questions, but Irene has her name. Um, Pastor Ron, I've gained a lot of weight during the pandemic, and my husband is no longer excited about sex with me. Should he get counseling? Um, you know what he needs to be, Irene, is obedient. You know what I can ask you to do, Irene? Have you and your husband together tune into these next three Friday night studies, the ones starting tonight? Um, it's very important that that the husband understands his responsibility. Um, we're going to stand before Jesus and give account of how we're doing with the the wife that he's blessed us with. Um, so I, this isn't a matter of counseling. This is just a matter of being obedient. And I'm going to say something here, and I'm, I, I risk being misunderstood. But this kind of response to you gaining weight, your husband maybe not being attracted to you or, or sexually excited by you because of the weight gain, um, forgets what the role of sex in a marriage is all about. It's two who are one. And in a perfect sexual relationship, in, in any perfectly intended sexual relationship, uh, it's the husband's job to satisfy the wife. It's the wife's job to satisfy the husband. It's not to get our own needs met or to, to be satisfied. It's to be a servant. And, and the fact that we are servants also extends to our bedrooms inside the marriage. So it is wrong for your husband to withhold himself from you because he doesn't feel like having sex. The wife's body, the husband's body, Paul writes to the Corinthians, uh, they're not our own. They belong to the other. Your body belongs to him. His body belongs to you. And it is bordering on being defrauded if somebody withholds sex. On either side of the equation, if you're withholding sex for any reason at all from your partner, then that's a sin. And, you know, that's just something that we've got to deal with the Lord on. So, um, yeah, go to your pastor. I, I, this is These are the kind of things that are difficult to talk about with people that you know, but go to your pastor and um, together deal with this problem. Uh, what he's got to do is understand that his job is to serve you, not to be served by you. And when he's doing that, God will work on you. Now, Irene, I also want to say this, and this, I think, is important. And this is where people will maybe blast me. Um, you owe it to your husband to look as good as you possibly can. It's that simple. And if you know that the weight you've gained during the pandemic is a problem, then what you need to do is, with the help of God, work on this. So it goes both ways. This isn't shaming you. This, isn't, this is just simply saying you always want to put your best foot forward with your spouse. As a Christian, we need to do what we can in order to accomplish that. So watch what you eat. Be healthy. Exercise. All those things are good things anyway. But do it now because you want to please your husband. 
So you see it goes both ways. And all of the instructions in marriage go equally to both parties, male and female. So Irene, I hope that is sensitive and doesn't um, cause you any pain. Um, But that's as clear as I can be, I think. Here's a question from, oh, I got a phone call. Let me go there first. I got Jimmy on line one from San Antonio. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Oh, hi. How are you doing? Good. Thank you, Jimmy. Um, my daughter told me yesterday we we're having a discussion, and she says, and I was trying to tell her that, you know, about Jesus, and, you know, she's still dating this atheist, and, and uh, I told her, and she tells me, the Bible is a metaphor. And I said, no, it isn't. It's the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus is only the way, truth, and the life. And I said, I'm going to pray for you because I know you're going to come back to the Lord. You know, it just broke my heart. But yeah. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I just, I just put my faith in God and Jesus Christ, and she's going to come back. It might have, yeah. she might have to be rock bottom. Realize it, but that's the way it's going to happen, probably. Yeah, Jimmy, I think something else that will help you. Um, um, your daughter is not a believer, and because she's not a believer, we shouldn't expect her to act like a believer. Now, as Christian parents, and I'm, I'm assuming this is an adult daughter. I don't know how old she is, but yeah, but it's twenty four. Okay, as an adult daughter, um, just make sure that you're not doing anything to enable her sin. She knows you don't approve, don't enable her sin. But I think one of the things, if we're going to pray effectively for our children, our grown children especially, then we've got to be realistic about our prayers. Lord, my daughter needs you. She doesn't know you, and she needs you. And if we don't get that, Jimmy, then we're always going to be disappointed. So just don't expect it. Just keep telling her about Jesus. Let the joy of the Lord in, in, in your heart uh, be something that's so obvious that she can see. Um, I wouldn't keep grinding on her about this. And by that, I mean, you know, every time you see her, you just, well, you know, you're doing this wrong. You're doing this wrong. Um, just just don't let her do it in your home. Don't let her, um, um, don't pay for her uh, so she can go out and sin. Uh, your house belongs to Jesus. And this is a place where the husband and the wife in a situation like this have got to be walking together. Um Amos 3.3 3 says, how can two walk together unless they agree to do so? So there has to be consistency in your home over this issue. It doesn't mean you don't love your daughter. It means you love her more and you understand the priority of heaven. And I think, Jimmy, without hardening your heart, I think it just is a lot easier to deal with these things if we don't have any expectations of unbelievers. When when you say this man's not a Christian, um, you know, well, neither is your daughter. And because she's not a Christian, they're not unequally yoked. They're actually equally yoked. And what you want to do is keep praying them, um, praying for them as, as uh, often as you can, continually before the Lord. And at one point, uh, the Holy Spirit's going to honor your witness. I, I just will be in prayer with you that that's the case, Jimmy. Thank you, Jimmy, for the call. I appreciate it very, very much. 
340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is the question from Jackson. He wants to know what my thoughts are on Ray Brown from Resurrection Baptist Church. Jackson, um, I will admit my exposure is extremely limited. Um, I've probably only heard uh, Ray Brown preaching maybe 20 times. Um, so I certainly don't have a, a, a wide variety or full spectrum of his teachings doctrinally. Um, but the truth is, I enjoy him. I think he's very gifted. Uh, what he does and the way he does it, it's nothing like I would do. Uh, I'm not gifted enough to do that. But I can tell a couple of things about uh, Ray Brown just from the, the, the Bible studies I've listened uh, to. Um, he's on uh, radio stations that, that our show appears on. Uh, in fact, on, I think, the midweek uh, or during the week show, at, he, he's on at 10 o'clock on one of the stations, and my program comes on right before his. So uh, I've had some interaction with his program, um, but but it, it, I can tell he's, he's bright, he's very smart, um, and he's very gifted. He's very, very gifted. I think I've heard some things that maybe lean a little close to faith and prosperity. But on the other hand, I've also heard him talk about our responsibility um, to, to work hard and, and, and those kind of things. So, so well, I, certainly doctrinally, we wouldn't agree on everything. I don't think there's much of a gap between what he believes and what we believe, at least in the experience that I've had. So um, um, clearly... Uh, his church is is um, uh, flourishing. Um, I think they've got uh, two campuses, um, and and he, you know what, he seems like somebody that I would have a a lot of fun with if we could just kind of sit down, have lunch, and and talk about our ministries and talk about uh, about Jesus and and uh, how privileged we are to do what we're doing. Again, completely different styles, and there are times I'll be honest, I'm jealous of people that actually have a style. But um, I I actually enjoy listening to him. And unlike a lot of pastors, when they come on, I turn them off or turn to another station. Uh, I keep it on the station when uh, when Ray Brown is preaching. So uh, I hope that answers your question. And I'm sorry, I don't have more detail. He's not a nationally famous guy that there'd be a lot of critics out there who pick apart his doctrine. Um, but, but you know what, Jackson? I can tell he loves Jesus. And I can also tell as a pastor he loves his people. And uh, and that's that's really all I've got on Ray Brown from Resurrection Baptist Church. He's a neighbor. I mean, Schertz is real close to here. So um, uh, he's a guy I think I'd like to get to know. So I hope that helps. Laura says, how can you say being gay is wrong if we're told not to judge other people? Well, Laura, what we can do is we can judge Based on Scripture, what the Bible says, we can judge other people's behavior. In fact, we're commanded to judge their behavior. We're not judging them. We're not judging their heart. We're just judging their behavior. I can say in the same way, Laura, that stealing is wrong. And somebody says, well, how can you judge somebody? Well, because they stole something that belonged to somebody else. Well, God makes the rules. And God says that homosexual sex is sin. And since he's the one that makes the rules, 
we don't get to change the rules. So I'm not judging somebody's heart. I'm judging their behavior. Now, let me also say this, Laura. God, in his word, gets very close to judging their hearts. He says, people who live like this, and that's just one sin of several. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and Galatians chapter 5, it says, people who live like this, meaning this is the pattern of their lives. We're certainly not talking about somebody who, who, who just sins, they, they're sorry they sinned, they repent, uh, but they just were overcome by a weakness, they just fell. Uh, we're not talking about that. We're talking about the person that sins willfully and continues to plan to sin willfully and says, well, I don't care what the Bible says. I don't think being gay is sinful because, well, that's just the way I was born or that's just who I am. That's sin, and that doesn't judge their heart to say so, but their behavior identifies their heart. Jesus said, many will stand before me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, I know a lot of Christians, Laura, who, who are professing Christians who claim to be saved, but who live these kinds of lifestyles. The same thing is true for men and women who live in sexually sinful, heterosexual lifestyles. And if somebody came to me and said, well, you know, I'm living with this girl or me and my girlfriend or me and my boyfriend, we're having sex. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that because we love each other. I would tell them, you know what? You're not going to go to heaven. The word of God says that. So not only am I not judging their hearts, I'm trying to turn their hearts toward the kingdom of God. So, um, Laura, God makes the rules. We don't. And we have no right. J. Vernon McGee once said, he said, when you can say, let there be light and there's light, then you can change the rules. Well, we can't do that. Only God could. So um, we're judging their behavior and we have a standard given to us in the Bible by which we can judge. And God does not grade on a curve. God does not make exceptions. God is pure holiness. And right is right, and wrong is wrong, and never the two shall meet. So, Laura, that's the best I can do with that one. Hope you understand. Marty says, what do you think? Oh, boy. Marty says, what do you think about pastors cussing from the pulpit? I think they are going to be humiliated when they stand before the Lord, Marty. I think they're going to be absolutely humiliated. You know, we have entered a time of our country where people are trying to figure out a way to draw crowds. And so I'm going to be cool. I'm going to be relevant. You know, this is just the way people talk and words are just words. They're no big deal. The Bible says, um, let no corrupt communication come from your mouth. Let no unwholesome talk. Another passage says, coarse conversation. So the, the pulpit uh, you know, and I try to remember this always, Marty, when I'm standing by the pulpit. I remember Exodus chapter 3, when the voice of our Lord from the burning bush told Moses to take off thy sandals for the ground that you are standing on is holy ground. And I try my best to remember that when I'm in the pulpit. Now, certainly I've never cussed, and I, I, I even refrain from using anything that can be taken the wrong way. Um, but at the same time, to have pastors who are promoting the idea, like the Bible doesn't say those things, 
um, they're not only going to be embarrassed, but they're going to be held accountable. And I think, Marty, you're going to see, I think we have already seen um, the lifespan of these kinds of pastors cut very short. And I don't mean their physical lives, but their life in ministry. Um, usually these ministries begin with a big bang and, and then they fizzle out really, really quickly simply because there's no Holy Spirit. There's just no Holy Spirit. Somebody that's using foul language. Um, somebody who's using off-color jokes. I, I simply think that um, God is going to be sure that the, their ministries don't really gain any traction at all. So uh, I know it's a, 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 a trend, uh, but it's one of those trends that is disheartening. You know, there is a, not a Christian, but there is a, a man who um, has been a guest, a frequent guest on a talk show that I used to listen to a lot. He's a smart guy. He's a really smart guy. And um, um, I enjoyed listening to him. And I, I on YouTube one day, it just came up. I saw his podcast. And so I just wanted to listen, see what, what it was like. And on the podcast, he's a filthy, foul-mouthed guy. Still smart. But he uses horrible, horrible language. I thought, what a phony he is. So imagine if he's accountable, how much more accountable we who are pastors are. Marty, thanks for asking. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in our week. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand on for life. I'll be back in two minutes. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the program 340-9585 for your live calls and questions hey quick programming note um, before we get to a caller um, on monday it is a national holiday and so we will not be live. Monday will be a rebroadcast. So I'll pray for you. You pray for me. And then we'll be back live at 4 o'clock on AM 630 Word on Tuesday next week. It's Martin Luther King Day uh, this coming Monday. Have a great, great holiday. And I pray the weather's nice and warm so we can actually enjoy it. Let's go to Cindy on line one from San Antonio. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Good afternoon on Friday, Pastor Ron. Thank you, Cindy. Hey, I'm so sorry for your loss, Cindy. Oh, I know. I'll, I'll miss him. I, I was fortunate. I had some of the best in-laws in the world, and I'll miss my father-in-law so much. But um, anyways, but thank you. Um, I was reading in um, Matthew today, Matthew chapter 10, verse 30, and it says, And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered, and I was thinking about when we comb our hair, we always lose a few of them. And God has a tally. Absolutely everybody, the the current tally on the hairs in your head, and, and it made me think about, um, you know, how much more, you know, he, he knows about what's going on with us. And what brought me, what brought that to my attention was uh, Reuben. 
I think it was yesterday, uh, since mm-hmm. this happened, my, I, I'm kind of in a time warp, but I think it was yesterday that, um, that Reuben had called in and the things that he was going through, and it was just a word of comfort uh, to Reuben that how comforting it is to know that God knows everything that's going on. And that was just pretty much what my call was about. But I'll get off phone and let you comment. Bye. Thank you, Cindy. God bless. You know, I think the one thing that we can be confident of um, is that, that we're all going through difficult stuff now. Uh, certainly different degrees. Cindy, I just talked about your loss uh, this week, earlier this week, um, yours and Ray's. And, and uh, we've had callers, uh, obviously, with COVID issues and family members who are in, in, in really precarious positions. You know, but, but the, we, we all go through really difficult things. And these kind of passages, uh, Jesus, when he gives them, uh, he was telling them, um, you know, don't worry about about the religious leaders. And he's speaking to Jews, these large crowds of Jews. Don't be worried about the religious leaders, what they can think. Um, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Instead, be afraid of God. And then he goes on and tells them, uh, are not two sparrows sold for penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, two things about that. This is God's sovereign care for us in view. Everything that happens, God is watching. Um, In the Bible study that I did on Wednesday night, Cindy, um, Jacob, and Laban, um, you know, God, God was doing a work in Jacob that took him 20 years. It didn't have to take 20 years, but it did because of Jacob. But, but at the end, he says, look, I saw all that Laban has been doing to you. And God is the one who blessed Jacob in spite of Laban's efforts to cheat him. And I think for all of us, we need to know, especially in difficult times, especially in difficult times like this, we, we've got to understand that, that God is in charge of all these things and we are under his sovereign care. That doesn't mean bad things aren't going to happen. It just means that God's got it all covered. Paula says God knows stuff. He knows everything. And all of uh, everything, that things that, that we think don't matter, aren't important, God is watching all those things. The other thing I wanted to say, Cindy, about this passage is that every pastor with hair always has fun when they're teaching this passage <laughs> because um, we could say God knows uh, how many, every hair on your head. They're all numbered. That means when you got up this morning and there was some on the pillow or some in your brush, he knew all of those. He did the, 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 the subtraction. Uh, the idea is, is just that God knows everything is in control of all things. Thank you, Cindy, very, very much. Here is a question from Trey. Why does the Holy Spirit grieve, but not the Father or Jesus? Well, Trey, I don't know where you get the idea that that uh, Jesus or the Father don't grieve. Um, in the Old Testament, we're told over and over and over. Remember, they're all persons, personalities. And um, they all grieve. They all have great joy and everything in between. Uh, we're told not to quench the Holy Spirit or to grieve the Holy Spirit. But all through the Old Testament, we see the Father 
grieving that he even made mankind. That doesn't mean he made a mistake. It just means that, that, boy, this certainly wasn't in his plan when he created the best work he ever did. Jesus grieved at the tomb of Lazarus. Not because Lazarus had died. Jesus knew he was about to raise him from the dead. But he grieved because this isn't the way things are supposed to be. They grieve because of sin. You know, I often pray. Uh, and, and, you know, I ask questions. We all ask questions of, of God almost like he's a human. And he is human, but he's also an infinite God. But uh, Paul and I talk about this all the time. God, how do you do it? How's your heart broken so much all the time? And at the same time, you're filled with joy. We as humans, we find that difficult. It was a scene in the movie Bruce Almighty. I'm not recommending the movie, but, but it, it was a scene... Um, where Morgan Freeman was God. God has a voice like Morgan Freeman, I'm sure. But um, um, when when uh, Jim Carrey, who was the, the the lead actor in the in the movie, um, he he wanted to be God. He wanted to make all decisions. He was always being critical of God. And at one point, God said, "Okay." And Jim Carrey started hearing the voices of all the prayers. And it was a very poignant moment in the movie. It's not a godly movie at all, but but this moment. And just, just a picture that we all got at that point of how God is listening to the prayers of every human on this world, those who belong to him and those who don't. But all of those pleas are coming to God. And, and we sometimes think that God isn't hearing prayers. One of the reasons the Father grieves is because he can't answer the prayers of those who don't belong to him. So, Trey, the Holy Spirit grieves, the Father grieves, and certainly Jesus grieves over and over and over when the religious leaders brought out the woman caught in the act of adultery. said, the law says to stone her, and they handed Jesus a stone. Don't you think that broke his heart? When he walked into the synagogue and they tried to trap him by setting a man with a shriveled hand in front of him. Don't you think that grieved him? When they continually accused him of violating the Sabbath law when all he was doing was healing people. I know that grieved him. So Trey, rest assured, all three persons of the Trinity, um, our Godhead, grieve immensely in the process. Thank you for the question. Let's go to Whittier, California and talk with George on line one. George, good to hear from you. How are you doing? Hello, Pastor Ron. Hello, I'm getting there. I'm day by day here. Um, you know, I was wondering, um, you may have touched on this before, but when we read about old things in the Old Testament, some of the more common are, are more, I guess, well-known verses. For example, Psalm 121, it starts off, I will lift up my eyes, and then there, um, down toward the end of it goes, the Lord shall pre- preserve thy going out and coming from, you know, even and forevermore. Are we, those are actually specifically geared toward the the, um, the Israelites, are they not? Are they something we can not really see ourselves as being spoken to, but maybe just identify with? 
Yeah, George, in, in, in large part, you're right. But here's one of the things we need to understand. The, the, the Psalms, for example, are, are, are they're poetry. And they express the heart of the one who's writing it. So it's not something that, that we can, can naturally apply to God. But the principle in that psalm, um, uh, I look to the heavens, where does my help come from? Um, those are principles that we can use in every phase, every facet of our lives. So in, in that case, George, um, that's something that we can use and take that principle and put it into action in our lives. There are a lot of Old Testament prayers uh, and statements that are made that can't be applied here. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then I will turn and heal their land. And, you know, we Christians, we've we've claimed that prayer for a long time. That prayer doesn't apply to the United States of America. We're not God's people. And so the situation is different. Uh, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Uh, everybody knows Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. So those are prayers that deal specifically with God's promises to Israel and they're not promises that we can take and still there are principles in those prayers that or in those verses that we can accept or that we can take and and uh, and know that they benefit us you know uh, George when when uh, we're we're looking at the bible or interpreting scripture we've got to identify who the author is talking to, the point he's trying to make, and then if we understand that, then if we get any principal application that we can know that that's the leading of the Holy Spirit. But simply to take promises that God intends to Israel or intends for Israel and, and claim them as our own is just bad Bible scholarship. Did that help, George? Yes, it did, yeah. Well, thank you, Rick. Very much. Thank you. Give our love to Irma, please. Okay, we will. Thank you. Thank you. Uh-huh. Bye bye. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is a question from Patricia. Pastoron, do you think Christians should boycott Google, YouTube, Twitter, etc., for their censorship of conservatives and Christians? Um, Patricia, I'm not a a boycott fan of anything. Um, I think if we are organizing boycotts or or we've made that sort of a, 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 a an agenda issue for us an agenda item of our lives we're stealing time away from the lord so i i don't have any expectation i said to jimmy earlier we shouldn't expect unbelievers to um to um, um act the way believers behave and so i don't expect google or youtube or twitter um, uh, to be fair or to be just, um, you know, uh, the, the 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 people that come and and um, fix our roofs or fix our toilets or pick up our trash, we don't know who they are or what they believe. We don't know if they're good people or bad people. What we want is for them to get our trash can and get the trash out of it. We want them to fix our roof or want them to to fix our plumbing, whatever it is. So, so, you know, Google, YouTube, Twitter, they're, they're tools. And I think Christians are way too invested in those tools. I think we need to pick our causes um, carefully, Patricia. And by that I mean, uh, rather than boycotting anybody, rather than spending one ounce of our energy on, on something like that, uh, wouldn't that energy be better served 
if it was focused only on um, doing the will of God or, or, or studying our Bibles or learning uh, who Jesus is or maybe just spending a couple of hours talking to him. Um, Patricia, I know I'm not going to change the world. I know that. I know it. But when I'm talking to Christians, week in and week out, um, my job is to equip them for the work of ministry. And that's why I say, get off social media. How much time are you spending on social media if in fact you can be upset about what Google and YouTube and Twitter and the others are doing? Um, again, people, this, people absolutely won't listen to me. But we're invested in so many things that have no godly value. If we would open our Bibles, if we would spend one-third the time in our Bibles that we do on our telephones, how much better would we know His Word? How much better would we know Him? So just make sure your cause is a cause worth fighting for. And typically, Patricia, I'm not really into causes that I have to fight against. I'm in the line of fire enough just by teaching the Bible. I don't want to be known, and as a Christian, I would hope you don't want to be known as somebody who is against Google. But instead, use Google if you're using their tools to promote Jesus Christ. And you have to do that with godly behavior. I, I don't want to be known for what I'm against. I want to be known because I love Jesus. And uh, so, probably not a satisfying answer, Patricia, but I wish everybody would listen. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Ben asks a tough question. What does it mean to have a Christian worldview? Um, you know, you hear a lot, Ben, about Christ, Judeo-Christian ethics. Um, our laws are based on Judeo-Christian ethics. Um, um, but, but for us as believers, that's not to have a Christian worldview. A Christian worldview is to do what Jesus says. Everything that comes up, uh, issues like abortion. Um, Christian worldview is that abortion is murder. And if you understand that, if that's your worldview, then you're not going to get caught up in the right to choose arguments or woman is sovereign over her own body arguments. Um, a Christian worldview, homosexuality is sinful. And if we don't get drawn into those discussions, then nobody's going to have a chance to change our minds. Um, a Christian worldview is that there's right and there's wrong and only God has the right to determine what those are. That's a Christian worldview. So uh, I think we should vote our Christian worldview. I think we should live our Christian worldview. But unfortunately, I don't think our Christian worldview is as complicated as people make it. God reveals his will to us very clearly in his word. That's his worldview and that's the worldview that we need to adopt. So, Ben, thank you for the question. 
Jennifer says, I know God loves us, but what does it mean when it says without faith it's impossible to please God? Um, Jennifer, without faith you have no relationship with God. Our, our, our relationship with Jesus is, is by grace, but through faith. Faith is the tool. And, and if you don't have faith, faith in him, faith in who he is and what he's done, if you don't have faith, then you have no relationship with God at all. And what that means is it's impossible to please him because you don't know him. You see, to, to, to remove faith from your life means that you're trusting in you rather than trusting in God. And Jennifer, I know a lot of Christians who aren't pleasing to God in the sense now God loves them. They're going to get to heaven, but they're living their life based on what makes sense to them or what seems right to them instead of finding out what pleases the Lord and doing that. So the idea of faith is important if we, if we just imagine how it must hurt God's heart when we don't trust him. I don't have anybody on the line holding, so I can tell a quick story. There was uh, some number of years ago, um, Paul and I were on vacation in Palm Springs, where our son lives, our older son lives, and I was um, watching, I was just at the pool. It was, it was a tough day, I just need to go out and be alone. I uh, just sat at the pool and, and was praying. And I, I was watching this scene unfold. There was this little boy, um, who little boy. Now, he was tall for his age. He was probably six or seven years old, but he was very tall. And, and his father was very tall. And his dad was in the pool. They were from Eastern European country. And and so their accents sort of attracted my attention. And and you could see how badly the little boy wanted to dive in. And he'd get right to the edge and he'd turn over, bend over at his waist and have his hands ready to go down. And right at the end, he'd run away and say, oh, I can't, I just can't do it. And his dad was in the pool saying, come on, daddy, we'll catch you. Your, your father will catch you. And I watched this go on for almost two hours, Jennifer. And then I had to go do something, so I had to go get ready, so... Uh, the next morning in the hotel, I saw the father in the, the, the line at breakfast. And so I went up and I said, excuse me for, for interrupting, but, but I was watching your, you and your son yesterday at the pool. And I could tell how badly he wanted to jump in. And I, I just, I had to go. I, I need to know, did he ever dive in? And the father, very seriously, looked at me and said, I'm sorry to say he did not. He did not trust his father enough to jump. Well, that's what it means when it says without faith it's impossible to please God. Jesus has his arms out. Jesus is telling us to take that step of faith. And if we don't take it, oh, how it breaks his heart. So by walking in faith, we're saying to God, I trust you. When we're walking by sight or when we're walking by feelings or when we're walking by circumstance, what we're saying to God is, thanks for dying for me, but I don't trust you. I don't believe that you can take care of me. That's what it means, Jennifer. Walking by faith is the only way to live our lives. Manny asks, Pastor Ron, since Jesus paid the debts for everyone's sin, why does anyone go to hell? 
for their sins. Well, many, no one has to go. A way has been made for sure, um, but nobody has to go. Um, Jesus's gift is very simply, something has to be received. His death was efficacious for everyone, but only efficient for those who say yes. Imagine somebody giving you a handful of money and saying, it's yours, and you just dumping it out on the ground and running away. You can't go buy anything. Well, same thing. So Jesus' death was efficacious for all, but only effective for those who believe. Good question. Here's our last one of the day. It is from Alex from our mobile app. How do we involve our youth in church? How can we get them excited? I think Alex, um, and I feel very strongly about this, and maybe this is a question that I'll come back to uh, when we come back live on Tuesday. Um, I think we stop trying to get them excited and we start teaching about Jesus. It's just that simple. Um, Our youth love Jesus because we've uh, had Bible studies after Bible studies after Bible. They know who he is. But but when we try to get our youth excited, we're pe- appealing to the carnal nature, we're appealing to the emotions. And we, what we need to do is let the Holy Spirit work in our kids the way we ask the Holy Spirit to work in adults. The way we do that is by teaching them the Word. So that's the way you do it. And I am going to, to keep this over for Tuesday, Alex. We're not going to be live on Monday but on Tuesday at the top, I'd like to spend a little bit more time with this because this is one of those things that has sort of been in my brain buzzing around for a long, long time. Why do we have to entertain kids? Why do we have youth ministries with beanbag chairs and air hockey games and and uh, sofas instead of chairs? Why do we treat them differently than we treat the adults? Why do parents want their kids entertained? Oh, we want to be excited about going to Jesus. The problem with that is they, they, they get excited about going to church if they're not taught anything. Then they go to college and they don't know what they believe or why. So that's the way we do it here at Calvary Chapel, Alex. And again, I'm going to keep this over for uh, our program next week. I think that's really, really an important question. How are we doing on time? Okay, just over a minute. Just over a minute. See if I have a really quick one. Um, nope, one minute, okay. Uh, over and over we're told, Mickey says, over and over we're told not to worry. I still worry all the time. Can you help? <laughs> yeah, Mickey, stop worrying. I just talked about this with the other question. Um, trust God. Give him your worries over and over and over. When you find yourself worrying, recognize that you're wasting your time. There's nothing that ever has changed for the positive by worry. Nothing at all. And in the process, your witness is being compromised as well. We are done for the week. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, reminder, tonight at 7 o'clock, I'm going to be teaching on husbands. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. And I'm going to be stopping right there, sort of laying a foundation for the next two Bible studies. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll be back on Tuesday Live at 4 o'clock.